Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. James chapter 1 from verse 1 to 12. James chapter 1 from verse 1 to 12. The Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble and in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plants; its blossom fails and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test of faith, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You know, when we sing the song, <laughs> Almighty Infinite Father, faithfully loving your own, here in our weakness, you find us. I, I remember that there was such a time in my life where I was uncomfortable to sing that. You know, I'm not weak. I'm strong. Let the weak say what? I'm strong. And there is a form of Christianity where we deny our weaknesses, where we deny the things that we go through, where in some instances we even try to escape from them. So, for example, we have pilgrimages that we go to, maybe at the end of the year. You go to a certain big program at the headquarters of your church just so that you can escape your sufferings, just so that you can escape your weaknesses, just so that you can escape the tribulations and the tests of your faith. Praise God. Does that make sense to you? However, replete in the scriptures or plenty places in the Bible, you see that there's a weird disposition that the scriptures demand of us when it comes to sufferings, when it comes to tribulations, when it comes to trials. For example, in James that we just read, it says, count it all joy. That doesn't look like what I would want to do when I'm going through Shege. Praise the Lord. I don't think I want to count it all joy. <laughs> Yesterday, me and Brother Morewa went through a certain Shege on Lagos Ibadan Expressway. I don't think I want to count that all joy because we may, we will not empty our savings in Jesus' name. That's not the response I want to have. But the funny thing is that um, people asked me, because we were coming from Ibadan, and they were like, oh, how's your trip? Hope you got to where you were going to in time. I was like, mm, well, it wasn't good. You know, we saw Shege, right? <laughs> and someone was like, oh, I'm so sorry about that. And I was like, mm, I can't tell joy. And then this other guy too asked me about it. Mm, I can't tell joy. You know, sincerely speaking, right? Sincerely. I wasn't actually as broken or anything. I was like, oh, no more stuff, no more stuff. It's okay, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. I think it was this morning, I just thought about it again. I wait, oh, 
our savings <laughs> may be emptied <laughs> on this matter, <laughs> you know. And so I understand perfectly how that it is difficult to count it all joy. Do you understand what I'm saying? All this shalai I just did, you understand, right? It is not what your natural disposition is to count it all joy. But the Bible says that when you go through trials, it says you should count it all joy. And not just in James, but in several places in the Bible, the Bible tells us that the disposition of the Christian to suffering is joy. Wahala. Praise God. Look at Romans chapter 5. I'll run through um, a couple of them. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings. Bros, please now. It's too much. <laughs> Praise God. It says that we glory in our sufferings. How many of you glory in your sufferings? How many Christians are here? <laughs> the Bible says that our disposition is that we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, in turn, produces character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that place is 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read a couple of scriptures, okay? 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read from verse 3 to 7. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. Praise the Lord. So it says that in all these you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Praise God. You know, it says in verse 8 that though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. John chapter 16, verse 33. If you're looking for John, it is after Obadiah, John 16, 33. It says... Jesus was speaking here. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will see Shege. You will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But take care. Take art, I mean. I have overcome the world. The KJV says, be of good cheer. So he's saying that you're going to see tribulations, but cheer up. I have overcome the world. Praise God. Let's see a few more. Can we? Okay, okay, let's see one more for your six. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 12. We'll read from verse 6 to 10. Are you learning? Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6 to 10. The Bible says, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Oh, okay, yeah. Or because of these um, surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Did you see that? It says, I will boast gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, while Christianity teaches you that you should embrace your sufferings, now, listen, I am not saying that when you go through things, that when you pray, that the Lord does not answer. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that there are so many times, so many instances, when you go through situations in your life, and you pray about it, and the Lord sorts it. Abi, you can testify to that. But there are times when the answer is, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul says that while that suffering lingers, while that suffering continues, he says that I will rejoice in my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest on me. What does that even mean? We will see. Praise God. So, from all of those texts that we just um, read, we see that suffering is something to rejoice in. Because, again, if you actually paid attention to everything we're reading, you will notice that there is an end. There is a hope. There is something to look forward to that makes that suffering worth it. In some instances, it is something to look forward to um, at the end of time, right? It's something to look forward to when all of this is wrapped up. In other instances, there are things to look forward to even in this world. Even in this world. That's why you see places like Paul saying that um, let suffering or let, let patience have its perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So there is something to actually look forward to, even in this world, by reason of the sufferings that we go through. So there is what to look forward to in this world. There is what to look forward to in the world to come. Praise the Lord. Good. So, according to James chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, that we just read, which is our text, right? we'll see that truly we will face trials of many kinds. And those trials will be caused, of course, um, by various immediate causes. This is what I mean. Remember that it says that count it all joy when you go through various trials. Praise God. So it's not just persecutions. Like Paul um, qualified it. He also said hunger, right? Um, strivings, right? And all of the other things, poverty, everything, so many things that you can go through in this world, right? And the Bible says you should count it all joy. Now, those trials are definitely caused by um, things immediate to you, right? Or immediate causes, basically. For example, wicked and unreasonable men can cause trials, right? Do you understand that? Eh, eh. Okay. Wicked and unreasonable men can cause trials. There are natural causes for trials, like someone's house catching fire because of a thunderstorm or something. There are natural causes. Um, tremors and earthquakes and all of those things. And some trials can come by reason of your poor judgment, right? I'm sure some of you have experienced certain shege before because of a misstep. Not necessarily that you committed sin, but you took a decision that you shouldn't have taken or you judged poorly certain circumstances. Praise God. Okay. So, I'm saying that um, what the Bible says concerning all of that happening to you is that you should count it all joy, right? Why is the Bible saying that? I know that um, it looks like we are, we are speaking, we are removing the text one by one. But just pay attention and you will see um, what the Lord will have us receive this morning. Amen? Okay. So why does the Bible say that we should count it all joy? when we go through all of these things, right? That's why the fact that it's not like he directly caused those things. Most of the time, there are by secondary causes or um, immediate causes, like I said, earthquakes, natural disasters, um, wicked and unreasonable men, whatever the cause may be. The reason why the Bible says that we should count it all joy as we read in James is because there is a sovereign God who is not agnostic 
about any matter, including your sufferings. Praise God. There is a sovereign God who reigns over all things, who is not agnostic on any matter whatsoever, including your sufferings. Meaning that while your sufferings are going on, God is not like, oh, I'm waiting for you, know, you to finish whatever process that is, then I will come, step in, and turn it around for good. No. God is actively working through the things that you are going through, not because he caused it, but because he's sovereign. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you sure? I'm tempted to... <laughs> okay. Okay, let's continue. So there's a sovereign God who is not agnostic on any matter, including your sufferings, right? And we see that his mighty hand works through those trials, works through those things you're going through, right, as tools, or he uses those things as tools to complete that which is lacking in you. What James was saying, I'll read it again. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It says that you are having trials, but you know that those trials produces something in you, completes something in you that is lacking. Amen? Okay. So, this is, this is something that has to do a lot with our understanding of God's providence. Something that has to do a lot with our understanding of God's providence. Because when we really think about it, remember I said that the things that we go through are not necessarily that God directly, by his hand, caused some things to happen to you. And I'm not saying that God cannot do it. Amen? Amen. But I'm saying that it's not like God directly, by his hand, caused some things to happen to you. I'm saying that things are happening to you on their own. Right? Wicked men, unreasonable men are doing things. Um, the world, the falling nature of the world, because you are subject to it, is causing things to happen. But at the same time, we see that God is providentially working such that those things are not meaningless. Such that in reality, there's no meaningless suffering for the Christian. In reality, as we go on, you'll see what I'm talking about. You know that you may do some things that will cause trials to come into your life, that will cause tribulations to come into your life, and it will be, in that moment, a meaningless suffering because it could have been avoided, right? Drunk driving, for example, and you bash your car. It could have been avoided. But for the believer, there really isn't a meaningless suffering. Bible says, count it all joy, the things you suffer. Count it all joy, because God is providentially working in those things to complete in you that which is lacking. For example, when we think of people like Joseph, we remember that it was Joseph's brothers that threw him in a well. Was it God that threw Joseph in a well? It was Joseph's brothers that sold him into slavery. Was it God that sold Joseph into slavery? It was Joseph's brothers, or no, Potiphar's wife this time around, that accused him of sexual harassment. And they sent him to where? Jail. Was it God that sent Joseph to jail? And immediate cause now. Was it God that sent him to jail? I know that you know book. Peace has taught you. But was it God <laughs> that sent Joseph to jail? No, now, I hope you know that there are two causes to things in life, right? There's an ultimate cause. That's why God is not agnostic on anything. It's God, we know, I know. But in the moment, in that moment, when Joseph was thrown into a well, when Joseph was sold to slavery, when Joseph was sent to jail, it wasn't God in that moment, right? Yet, when Joseph was going to interpret all of those circumstances and all of those situations in his life, he said to his brothers, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives. In another place, Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
So that means that while Joseph was going through all of those trials and all of those tribulations, it didn't feel like God was actively working in it, right? But in hindsight, of course, he realized that actually God sent me to Egypt. Actually, God intended it. Not that he turned it around for good, though. He intended it, right? So that it can work, um, or so that what is being done now will be done, which is the saving of many lives. The reason why I said all of that is that, so basically, Joseph was saying that, though I suffered various trials, God's mighty hand was working through them to bring his purposes to pass. Do you understand? God's mighty hand was working through all of Joseph's trials to bring his purposes to pass. That also means that you won't be quick to murmur and complain when things don't go right or when things don't go your way. Because understanding this helps you to realize that God is not, God is not distant from your realities. God is not distant from the things that you go through. God is not distant in the place of unanswered prayers. You've been praying about something over and over and over again, and that mountain is not moving. It does not mean that God is distant. James said, count it all joy. You've been praying and praying and praying concerning whatsoever it is, and it is not changing. James said, count it all joy. I can imagine how many years Joseph had to go through all of the things he went through, being in a well for maybe a few hours, and then being a slave for how many years, and rising through the ranks of slavery to become the head of Potiphar's house, and then from there going to prison, and being forgotten in prison. Praise God. It feels like this thing is not going to end, yet God was working. It is now we can look back and realize that God was actually working and he was perfecting his purposes in the life of Joseph. Such that the things that you are going through now may feel like God is not answering. This Shege is no longer Shege again. It has become Pro Max. In the moment, it feels long. And I'm not even promising you a deliverance in this world, but I'm telling you that God is not separate from the things that you are going through and is not agnostic on any matter. The life of the Christian is such that he counts it all joy when he faces various trials and tribulations. Jesus said, you will see Shegeo, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Peter said that despite all of these things, we rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. Do you see that? And I know that it still feels like how do you say that? <laughs> How do you say that? What I am going through right now, my response should be joy. So we're going to look into it. I'm going to share two things with you briefly, and I'll be out of your beautiful and handsome faces. Praise God. Permit me, I told you that Sunday sermons are different because see how all of you are plenty. I will be shaking. <laughs> All right. Two major thoughts I'm going to share with you concerning this whole matter of suffering and counting it all joy. Let's go back to James. Let's go back to Moses. Oh, James. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back to James. James chapter 1 again, right? We'll read verse 2 to 4. We've read it before. We'll read it again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, pay attention to what's going on here. The Bible, James says that your trials are the testing of your faith. Pay attention, no. It's very important to pay attention to this. James calls your trials the testing of your faith. Remember what I said about everything I said at the beginning? I said it so that we'll be able to understand what we're about to read now. Remember when I said that the things that you go through, right, are caused by 
immediate causes, right? Good. Now, James is saying that those immediate causes, those things that cause the trials and tribulations you're going through, it says that they are the testing of your faith. James is saying that what you are going through, God is using it to test your faith. It's not God that sets the exam as it were, right? But God is using it to test your faith. Now, what does it mean that God is testing your faith? Relax. Praise God. Okay. So, if you look at that text very well, interestingly, you will notice that the test there does not seem like what you know tests to be. You know, what we are used to is that I'm in class, I'm graded for maybe I do an assignment and then I'm graded for it, right? And so the test is such that um, I receive a pass mark or I fail. That's what we know tests to be, right? It is to test whether we know a subject or not. And if you don't know it, you will get Odo. If you know it very well, you will pass, right? But in these texts that we are seeing right now, like this, these tests is not merely an assessment, right, to show whether you trust God or not. It is called a test of faith in the sense that God is working through your trials to perfect you. Meaning that these tests is not to either say you did well or you did not do well. This test is to perfect you. Let me say it the way Apostle Peter said it. Apostle Peter compared your tests, the test of your faith, to gold passing through fire. That gold passing through fire is not merely to say, oh, um, I'm assessing it to show whether it is good or not. No, it is that that gold is passing through fire so that it can come out on the other end refined. So that when you hear the testing of your faith, wait, before I continue, everything I just said now, did you see it in James chapter one that we read? Did you see that he said that counts as joy when you face various trials because you know the testing of your faith produces something? Do you see? And then Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, I think I should read it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, it says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's saying that the things you are going through, God is using them to bring about a result. Do you see? So, when you go through problems and trials and situations, you are as gold going through fire that comes out at the other end refined. Do you get it? Are you sure? So, gold is put through fire to refine it. In the same vein, your faith is put to the test to the end that it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your faith is put to the test according to James so that it can produce in you perseverance. He now says that you have a responsibility to submit yourself. Let perseverance work in you. Maturity. Character. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Are you sure? Okay. Did I write it there? <laughs> Instead of being defeated by what you are going through in the moment, James says, count it all joy, because God is working patience in you. And if you yield yourself, that patience will complete its work so that you are mature and complete, lacking nothing. So again, when you think of the tests of your faith, you are not, you are, what you are thinking of is that God providentially, through your sufferings, is refining you. Amen? And so James says it is something to rejoice about. James says it is something to rejoice about. If you're a Christian, you understand. <laughs> Praise God. 
Suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. Um, Eugene Peterson describes character as the tempered steel of virtue. It says perseverance will produce in you the tempered steel of virtue, which in turn which in turn will keep us in a place where our hearts are open to see and to participate in what God is doing. Because that's basically what Romans chapter 5 is saying. It's saying that perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put to shame. And so it's saying that perseverance will work maturity in you, will work character in you, will work the tempered steel of virtue in you. And that in turn will put your heart in a place where you are able to see what God is doing and to participate in it. That's what hope is. Hope is that you are able to see afar off what God is doing and you have a willing heart to participate in it. Do you understand? Are you bored? I dare you to say yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's look at another scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Hebrews 12, 1 to, 1 to 12. Oh. Jesus, darling. Are you there? Have you learned anything so far? I mean, forgive my shaking, but you've learned everything. You've learned a lot so far, right? Are you sure? Okay, let's continue. It's only on Wednesday I can be doing braggadocious things. All right. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 12. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Think about him. Look to him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, it says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose that when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Did you see what's going on here? He's saying that the opposition you are going through, the trials you are going through, says in the hand of God, it is discipline. Let's continue reading. You'll see what I'm saying. Verse 7, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and leave? They discipline they discipline us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may do what? Share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces what? A harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So I understand that many times you pray and you see instant results concerning the things that you go through. But there are times when it lingers, and the Bible says that the things that you are going through, in God's hand, it is discipline. The things you are going through, is it God that is doing it? Based on what everything I've explained, do you get? But is God sovereign over it? Is God aware of what you are going through? Is God using it? And the Bible says that what God is doing with it is that he's, he's doing such a work that you may partake in his holiness. He's doing such a work that if you are actually trained by your tribulations, if you are actually trained by these trials, just like James said, he says that let the trials work in you. 
right? He's saying that you should submit yourself to it. So if you allow yourself to be trained by the things you go through, the Bible says that it will produce in you a harvest of righteousness. I know it's not what you like to hear because in our context, we are being trained to repel suffering. We are being trained to run away from suffering. And that's why, like I said at the beginning, we have pilgrimages we go to every year. You know, not necessarily Jerusalem. It may just be the headquarters of this excellent church, right? We go every year so that God can give us babies and so that God can give us new contracts and new jobs so that we can run away from this country to greener pastures so that we can do this, so that we can do that, so that we can escape our sufferings. And the Bible says that actually, if the suffering lingers, eh, if I don't take it away, embrace it and count it all joy. This is Christianity. You don't like it, Abby? How does... Um, how does suffering produce such results in us that it is something to look forward to? There was this guy. What's the name of this guy that George Whitfield used to attend his fellowship? Yeah, the other Wesley, John Wesley. Yes. So John Wesley was on a ship, according to a story that I read. John Wesley was on a ship, right? And then there were certain Puritans that boarded the same ship. And then there was a storm, and everybody was scared that they were going to die. But then there were these Puritans. They lifted up their hands and were worshiping God. And George Whitfield, sorry, John Wesley, was looking like, waiting this up. We are about to die. And you guys are singing hymns. It's like, you guys are not seeing what's going on. After the storm subsided, he went to one of them. I think he just asked, you know, how is it that you guys were able to have that kind of disposition? And I can't remember the story very well, but it has to do with them trusting God and all of that. And John Wesley's conclusion was that he has not believed the gospel yet. He said, I have not believed. It's, it's so, he started praying that God will give him faith. He started praying that God will actually work faith in his heart that God will make him born again. Because when he saw those guys, he said, I'm not born again. <laughs> Suffering has done something to these guys. There is a hope that they have that I can't seem to find in my own heart anytime I'm going through trials and tribulation. I don't believe yet. So he was praying. So John Wesley could actually tell us the dates that God gave him faith. I'm serious. <laughs> According to his story, I think it was a gathering, of course. And that was where he finally got saved. Everything that was before then, as far as he was concerned, he was not saved. Until the day that he felt that warm feeling in his heart that, yes, I trust God. That's when he believed that he had faith. That's why I'm asking you. If this sermon is scratching your body, say you know that you have to John Wesley it. <laughs> because if you cannot see the beauty and the glory and the awesomeness of the hope that we have that is higher than the sufferings of this present time, Paul calls it suffering for a little while. There is a faith that is at work in those people that we are still grasping at. If you cannot see it, that heaven is better. If every time they say that, ah, Jesus should just come today, you say, God forbid. Are you a Christian? Because... <laughs> It is the reason why sermons like this are not interesting to you. It's the reason why you don't like it. You don't like the fact that the Bible says you should embrace sufferings in this world. It says it's for a little while. 
What's wrong with Israel? It's well. We'll get there soon. But in this world, before we even talk about what's going to happen in the world to come, in this world, the Bible is also telling us that there's a treasure worth looking at, looking forward to. Is a treasure called perfection. If perfection of character is not treasure enough for you to look forward to, are you a Christian? Think about it. Knowing fully well that you are totally depraved. Knowing fully well that you are being renewed day by day. If you recognize this, it will be treasure to you that someday I will be mature by reason of the things I'm going through. That that maturity itself, that ability to hope in spite of pressure is treasure enough. That ability to look to God and not be afraid of anything else is treasure. Your inability to see it as treasure, again, you have to join Wesley. You know, after I read that story, I took days praying, God give me faith. Because I know that there are still some things that I'm like, uh, maybe we should not suffer it. You know? <laughs> maybe, maybe I should not go through it. You know? I can go through some other things. I think that, you know, by God's grace, I've been able to. God has built some things inside me to be able to endure some things. But there are some things I cannot endure. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think so. But here's the point, right? Aside all the jokes, the Bible says that your disposition to suffering is to count it all joy. It says the reason why it is worth being joyful about is because God is using your suffering as a tool to work maturity in you. God is using your suffering as a tool to make you become more like him. Think about it very well. If becoming more like God is not treasure enough, can he treasure? Because that's what Hebrews says. Hebrews says that these things that you are going through, in your mind, what you think of discipline is that I did something wrong, so God is flogging me. No. Hebrews says that the things that you are going through, it is training for you. And it says that those, that training is working in you a harvest of righteousness. That training is so that you can partake in God's holiness. Think about it very well. It's saying that that training will make you become more like Jesus. And if becoming more like Jesus is not treasure enough for you, are you a Christian? Oh, I want to be more like him. And so if it takes him um, withholding certain blessings from me, then so be it. Oh. If you cannot say that confidently, sure you know that your Christianity is on probation. Sure you know that you're on IT. It says that let these things work in you, that you may partake in his holiness. I mean, producing you a harvest of righteousness. It's not every time enjoyment, enjoyment. That's even one of the reasons why we fast. It's not every time lalang, like my wife likes to say. So anytime I collect salary like this, I first going to chicken republic. <laughs> and when you see the alerts, because she's the one that collects all the alerts. The alerts, I don't know if you've seen it before. It writes lalang. Lalang is usually in the... <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> sometimes she's going out and she's like, Uncle, there's food in the fridge. Don't buy la lang. <laughs> it's not every time la lang. <laughs> I speak to myself. <laughs> hmm. So brothers and sisters, let patience have its perfect work. So it may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, I've already mentioned that the test of your faith is not merely an assessment, right, to check whether you have it or not. It is ultimately a refining fire. Does that make sense? That it is not just something to assess you, that, oh, your, your own faith is not genuine, oh, your faith is genuine. It is ultimately a refining fire. But it does not mean that it doesn't do that work too. It doesn't mean that the things you go through is not actually assessing whether your faith is genuine or not. I hope you know. 
Let me tell you how that works. Again, the reason why I said you should remember is because ultimately, you shouldn't lose focus on this. Ultimately, the end of it is to um, produce fruits of righteousness in you. Do you get? So whether it validates the genuineness of your faith or not, ultimately, the reason why you are going through all of that is so that you can come out of the, at the other end mature, perfect, lacking nothing. Amen? Let me show you what I'm trying to say. Praise God. Verse 4 to 5 of James. It says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Do you see what's going on there? It's saying that the testing of your faith, you should submit to it because ultimately what it is working in you is a state of being where you lack nothing. It's a state of being where you are more like your father, where you are holy as he is holy, where you partake in his holiness. It now says that that testing of your faith also reveals you to you that if you lack anything, you need to ask. Do you understand? That in the testing of your faith, it reveals you to you. Count it all joy, you. If not for the testing of your faith, you will not know that you're a murmurer and a grumbler. If the things you go through produces murmurings in you, sure you know that you're a sinner. Like me, of course. Praise God. Because it looks like I'm doing like this. I'm doing like this too. <laughs> Guess what I'm saying very well? Remember the Daidake? We did the story on the Daidake. Sure you know that they said <laughs> that if you murmur, you do what? You blaspheme. Just like Jesus said, if you are angry, what will you do? You will kill. So there are many potential murderers in this place. Amen? <laughs> oh, you don't know. But it's true. Let me just digress a little bit. Many of us say things like, oh, I'm not capable of such. I won't kill anybody. It's because you have not put in the right conditioning, the right atmosphere. And you will deliver. Of course, you are, you are regenerate. I, you are elect because we can see the fruit of your faith. However, if you are not elect and you are angry, you are always having bursts of anger. I will stay away from you. Even though you will say that I, I will never kill anybody. <laughs> you will kill me one day. Is the fact. In the same vein, when we murmur, right, we are prone to blasphemy. When you look at a woman lustfully long enough in your heart, you are prone to adultery. That's why the lustful look is in, in the Lord's books is equal to adultery. The unjust anger is equal to murder. The murmurings is equal to blasphemy. They're like, yeah, I'm just complaining about that. I don't like it. It's just so convenient. Ah. Continue. You will blaspheme the Lord soon if you don't check it. So that thing that is causing you to murmur, that trial that is causing you to murmur, that tribulation that is causing you to murmur, the reason what God is doing sovereignly with that trial, is to reveal you to you. Now, can you see? Can you see where work needs to be done? What did James now say? James says that if you lack something, remember, the end of it is that you lack nothing. But if you lack something, he says, ask God to help you. So at the end of the trial is not also to make you um, strive by yourself, as it were. It's meant to send you back to the cross. So you go through things. And it is producing bad responses in you. But I would say, count it all joy. Because God in his mercy has revealed you to you. And is calling you back to the cross. If you understand what I'm saying, shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, trials are revealers of where we lack. And when we recognize them, we have to ask God for help. It's by trials you know that you are prone to blasphemy and murmurings, lack of self-control, gluttony. Some of you, you will say that, you know, when I'm having a bad day, I just eat. 
They play. You've heard that before, have you? I, I just eat, I just munch on things. I just keep eating. Then. <laughs> you know how many, people are, how many people are guilty of that? I'm not guilty of that, though. My own lalang is. It's just my love for chicken. <laughs> this man has stretched for me. Because she saw that I was eating plenty of lalang, she went to buy chicken. Fried chicken. I finished it how many days? <laughs> All right. Thank you, ma. <laughs> so, people say things like, when I'm having a bad day, I just, you know, drink a little wine for my stomach. <laughs> Ultimately, you'll be a drunkard. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that drinking is bad. I'm saying that you are drinking to cure whatever is traveling your mind. You'll be a drunkard now. Because that thing, if prayer does not take it away, it will last for a long time. And so you'll be a drunkard for a long time. In the same vein, if prayer does not take it, take it away, you'll keep eating to escape the reality of what is going on around you. And one day you add, add with, add with, add with, add with. You used to watch those TLC shows where they usually use crane to carry people out of the house. The reason why gluttony is a sin is because it is an abuse of the temple of God. So the Bible says, count it all joy. First, because the trial of your faith refines you into pure gold. But also, the trial of your faith reveals you to you so that you can run to the cross. Do you understand that? And when he reveals it to you and you run to the cross, God will be merciful. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. I love it so much. Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. The Bible says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So give a, fit, a bit of context. The book of Hebrews was written to Jews who, because of persecution, were considering going back to Judaism. It was not written to a mixed multitude. It was not written to um, believers, believing Jews, unbelieving Jews, and unconvinced Jews. It was written to Jews. Praise God. Jewish believers. That's why it says in chapter 3, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. He's talking to all of them that they are holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, and they should consider Jesus the apostle. Apostle means that sent by God to us, Right? Sent by the Father to us. He's the apostle of our calling and he's also the high priest of our calling, meaning that he appears before God on our behalf. Do you see that? Is, it, is he appearing before God and um, is he sense? You understand what I'm saying? Abby? Yeah. I just say that in case you still hear that around, um, it's actually a very popular um, understanding of the book of Hebrews. The reason why I cleared that out is so that you can understand why he said what he said in chapter 4 that we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess because these guys were trying to go back to the law. Do you understand? So he says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. He now says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So it is sure, like we used to say, sure banker, that when you are going through trials and the trials reveal you to you, you will run back to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Think about it very well. Why did he say you obtain mercy? In Psalm 103, it says that as a father pities his children, so does the Lord pity us. Because he knows our frame. He knows we are dust. Now, much more than that he knows we are dust, he came to partake in the same humanity with us. So the Bible says that our Lord, our high priest, when you come to the throne of grace, he will pity you. He will have mercy. When you come and say, ha, I'm tempted though. This shege is leading to temptations. And this temptation, I was not falling into it. Our Savior, our high priest, will be merciful 
But it won't just end at pitying you and say, oh, I have mercy on you. You are so cute. No. The Bible says that it will give you grace to help in time of need. Praise God. So, while trials refine us to make us more like Jesus, trials also reveal us to us, ultimately to make us more like Jesus. As I said, that it is not just a marking scheme theology. Amen? The second thing I wanted to share with you, that was just the first thing. So the second thing will take some two hours. The second thing I want to share with you is that trials remind us that this world is not our home. Amen? The things we go through, God uses them to reorient us so that we will not forget that this world is not your home. All the empires you are trying to build with filthy money. This world is not your own, no. All your ambitions that you want to use every means possible to become the CEO of your company. This world is not your own, no. Say you know. So, when you go through things, God uses it to reset your mind. Yeah. Hey, come back. This place, you are a pilgrim. How do I know? Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 23. I'll read a few scriptures and we'll end it. Have you been blessed so far? Are you sure? Mr. I've been blessed because I'm not shaking again, so that's, <laughs> that's good stuff. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 23. If you are there, say amen. Okay. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you see that? If you are not looking forward to the glory that will be revealed in us, are you a Christian? Do you understand what I'm saying? If the only answer to suffering that you know is ah, um, the solution will come immediately, if that's all you know about suffering, it's not biblical though. Because it's not every time solution comes immediately. Sometimes the solution is discipline. It's training. Sometimes the solution is, is, a, is called refining fire. So, Brother Paul said that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. But the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to, to frustration, not by its own choice. Are you seeing that? Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Meaning that God placed limitations on the earth after the fall of man, Right? He says that not by his own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of of our bodies. He's saying that the things that we are going through is we are going through them so that we can have hope to reorient our minds back to where it is meant to be. That someday we will be with the Lord. That where we are right now is not our home. Do you like this sermon? I dare you to say no. Do you like this sermon? I would like to read this in the message. I don't like the message, but it's a good paraphrase. You know? Note my words. Para words. Okay. We will not enter Shalangar. <laughs> Romans chapter 8 from verse 8. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'll read from verse 18 again in the message. Just listen. He says, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. 
everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns this in until both creation and all creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But not only around us, it is within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We are also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Ha! Glory to God. So good. You know, I'll conclude by reading a psalm. Psalm 42. I won't explain it, but it perfectly summarizes everything I've talked about. It beautifully shows our present sufferings and what our disposition should be, what the disposition of our hearts should be. Psalm 42. I'll read it in the NIV. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Ermon, from Mount Misa. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By, the day, by day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. How do you consider the sufferings of this present time? How do you think of the sufferings of this present time? You know, the figure of speech that David used when he said that deep calleth unto deep. In the message, it says chaos calls unto chaos. He's saying that the things I'm going through are so much that it is from one chaos, from one level of chaos to another. That's mean of deep calleth unto deep. Amen. It doesn't mean that there's a deep in you and there's a deep in God and that the deep in God is calling unto the deep in you. That's not what it means. It means that the shege is overwhelming. It says, deep calleth unto deep. At the sound of your waterfalls. It says, but I will praise God. My salvation. That should be your disposition. Though. In the midst of, in quotes, unanswered prayers, count it all joy. Because whatever it is that is delaying this answer is working in me fruits of righteousness is working in me that I may partake in God's holiness, that I may be more like Jesus, that when I appear before him on that day, I will not be ashamed because he has changed me from inside out. I will not be ashamed. Perfect love will cast out every fear. I will not be ashamed. If every time you are running away from the things you are going through and you don't let 
patience have its perfect work in you, which other tool will you use? Will he use? Or you will say, prayer and the word. Okay, I agree. But one of the other tools he has ordained is your suffering. I hope you know, by the way, that human beings have to suffer. Like Pisam has said many times, it is because of the sufferings that we have going through, that we have gone through, help me Lord. Because of the sufferings we have gone through, we have advancements in technology. Humanity is better, healthier, richer because of Shege. So even nature teaches you that suffering perfects you. Do you see that? Even creation, even nature around us teaches us that the things you go through perfect you. That a, 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 a tree is planted under a shade and as a tree grows, it will begin to grow out into the sunlight. So it will have a weird shape and grows into the sunlight. Even nature teaches you that. And the things we go through make us better. How much more in Christ? Do you understand? Have you been blessed? Are you sure? Are you sure? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.